Awesome. Yeah. So the 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 communion song will be right before communion. Can you see it? I'm trying to. There it is. Take our brightest third. So we're doing that right before the, communion. communion. And we're doing this one after. After communion. Is that okay? Yep. Cool. It's good that you know how to use all that stuff. Well, I won't have to let you learn. <laughs> I'll send you a login. <laughs> so I was thinking, it's up to you, but I was thinking either um, I could do like one week here, one week there or something, and then have someone else lead here, or I could lead here and go over and just do the songs at the beginning and then leave. Yeah, so I'll say you're welcome to do any of it. They weren't, we didn't want to assume that you were going to do that, so that, that's why you didn't, Okay. so that's, no, it's okay. they're, they're, I mean, that's fine, however, whatever you want to do, it's fine. is it so. going to be awkward if I lead worship and then we leave afterwards, if we've attended this service? No. You know. That's what I do. <laughs> No, but we, I mean, if we just let people no, know, I don't want to make it. No, it's not. No. I just miss, like, kind of jamming with you guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Yep, I understand. So, yeah, don't, uh, yeah, it, however you want to do it. Okay. Uh, that's fine. Yeah. And now that we're here, I wonder if there's more people who would want to leave. You know what I mean? They would. Well, John A. would. He, he loves that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, Artie would. Yeah. Um, we're gonna do it you're gonna just do a shout out during the communion that's all we have in the past but they usually do that memorial day thing which it always gets kind of funky So today I want to talk about uh, conflict and compromise. It's in our text today. I don't know if uh, don't know how many of you are reading along with us or reading in advance to know the stories that we're going through as we work our way through uh, this, the book of Genesis. But in the promise, the life of Abraham, Abram, as we're still in the life of Abram, we find it. Michelle and I, we've been watching... Uh, while we can't do all the things that we normally do, we've been we've been finding all these uh, series on Netflix or Prime or whatever. Some of you have those those channels, and and you you know what they are. But there are series that are in there, and they're they have like six or seven or eight years of of a TV show, and you can just kind of watch from episode to episode to episode and see them all. So uh, we've been finding we do that a lot on the weekends since we're not doing much else. So uh, we we found one that our aunt told us about. It's called Poldark. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of it or not. I'd never heard of it. Okay, all right. It was a series of books back in the 1940s, 1930s, whatever. But it was on PBS. It was a PBS series, so it's a little different than most. But it's, it's really good. It was. Um, it's about a, a, a English family back in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Anyway, every episode is just like every other TV show. It's filled with drama, right? And and conflict is a big part of it. Except the difference is, is that when the back in back in the day, like back in the 1700s, the way they handled conflict was like I'm never really sure if they're fighting or if they're giving each other compliments, 
right? Because they'll be gentlemen, and then they'll just like say all these words that I'm not really sure what they mean, and then they want to go out and shoot each other, right? It's like their way of their way of arguing was very different, ladies, and people would be offended when you said that kind of thing, right? It was like it was like it sounds like a compliment, but no, people get mad, and. It's so different, I think. And last night, I was, I was watching one of them. As I, I went on social media, on my Twitter feed, which I say every day, I'm going to cancel my Twitter account, and I don't. But last night, I went on there, and I'm like, wow, this is so different. Like, it's pretty clear. what's a, They're not complimenting each other, right? When people just throw shots back and forth and back and forth. We handle conflict very differently today than we did back then. And I, I don't know if you're aware of this. Like, some of you may not even be aware that we handle conflict differently. But, but maybe you should, like, turn on the news and just for a second and see how we talk about people who disagree with us. That whether it be reading the paper or on TV or social media, people are are overwhelmed with sharing their opinions and then bemoaning the fact that people disagree with them. Conflict, though, has been a reality since the beginning of humanity. Conflict, how we handle it. And the source of conflict hadn't really changed. I read an article this week um, by a guy named Sammy, mm, I can't even pronounce his last name, Adebayi, I think is how you say it, I'm not sure. So, um, But anyway... He said, he said, and he kind of walked you through this practice. He said to, to understand conflict and, and how we fight and quarrel, that, that the last time you had the experience, it may have been with a parent or with a sibling or, or with a, a coworker or a spouse. I don't know. But what I would like for you to do is the same thing he asked to do in this article, was, was think of that last time that you were in a serious con- point of conflict, a serious argument. Think of that time. Give you a second. Think of that last time that you were in a serious quarrel with someone. And the worse the conflict, the better, right? Like, it's not, if it's somebody here in the room, maybe you even need to slide your chair over a little bit just to keep you from throwing an elbow. But, uh, <laughs> but don't, don't do that, even though you're tempted. Just think of it. Think of it. Okay, you got it? Are you feeling a little anxious just thinking about that, that time? Feel your heart speeding up just a little bit? If, if you're playing along, it probably is. You might even be getting angry as you start to replay the scene in your mind. The next time you, you've already thought of the thing you're going to say the next time you see them. If that's where you are, perfect. Now, what I want to do now is I want to show, I want to, I don't know what's, what had you, where you're at in your, in your mind, right? I don't know what's gotten you so angry, what's gotten you so frustrated. I don't know where it is. But, but what I'm going to tell you is why you got angry, why you got in that argument, why you got into that quarrel. Scripture tells us in James 4 that what causes fights and arguments or quarrels among you, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Your desire... But do not have. You desire, but do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You cannot get what you want, and so you quarrel and you fight. 
In other words, James is saying that, that you experience conflict because you're not getting what you want, what you feel like you deserve. And so we, we, we find conflict. They were wrong. They were unfair. She said this, but did that. They just don't get it. They don't understand me. You're probably right. They probably don't. But here's the thing. Even when you're right and they're wrong, the reason you're fighting is still because you aren't, even though they're right, or you're right, they're wrong. It's still the fact that you're not getting what you want. That's why you are arguing. Because you're not getting what you want. You want him to think this, and he isn't. You want her to do this, stop doing that, and she won't. You want them to understand you. You want him to love you. You want her to respect you. You're not getting what you want. And that is basically the reason to every argument and quarrel that we find ourselves in. Everyone, if you think about it. Getting what we want is a powerful lure. It is. I, I don't want to say that, that, that there's nothing worth fighting for. But what I will say is that some things are worth giving your life for and some things aren't. It's just being willing to fight for the right things is where we need to find ourselves. So up until this point in this series of messages in, from Abram's life, we, we've found ourselves... Abram's primary motive has been him getting what he wants. Him getting his way, right? He's been focused on self-preservation. And so far, so far up until this point in the story, the results have been, well, disastrous for him, right? I mean, God promised him a land. He went there, and when it got tough, what did he do? He went to Egypt. He left it. He left God's promise. On the way to Egypt, he realized that he might die, so what did he do? He left his covenant with his wife. He broke his covenant with his wife because he feared Pharaoh. But then God humbled him through the voice of Pharaoh. God humbled him and drove him to Egypt, or drove him from Egypt. And that's where we find ourselves in the text today. If you have a Bible, we're in Genesis chapter 13, and you probably cannot read that at all. Uh, that is way too small. Um, but hopefully you brought your own Bible. Because see, that's, that's why we, I say every week, bring your own Bible, because you're not going to be able to read that at all. You're going to have to trust me to be reading what's actually there, and I think you should be reading it for yourself. So, anyway, uh, Abraham went up from the Egypt to the Negev, which was the land of dryness, right? We talked about that last week, with his wife and everything he had, and Lot with him, his nephew. Abraham had become wealthy in livestock and silver and gold from the Negev, from the dry place, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, which was the house of God. To the place between Bethel, the house of God, and I, the place of ruin. He's between the house of God and the place of ruin where he set his tent and where he had built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving, around, moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites, Perizzites 
were also living in the land at that time, meaning that there wasn't a lot of room to herd, to, to graze our livestock, right? There were a lot of people around. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between me and you, between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Sounds very congenial of Abram all of a sudden. Up until this point, Abram has been, it's about me and mine. Now all of a sudden he's like, well, you pick. Like something happened. Something happened. There's only one explanation for this, and that is his faith is growing. Something happened at that altar, and it sparked his faith to grow. It seems Abram has finally understood God's calling on his life. When he was at the altar, he finally, he got it. He got it that God had a promise for him, and he wasn't given up. I believe this experience in the altar was, was transformative to Abram. And a matter of fact, I think, I think spending time at the altar is such a big deal that I invite you on Wednesday nights to join me at 6.30 at the altar. We're going to gather for prayer at Rock Hall Church, and we're going to have dinner with the kids, and then we're going to go up to the church to pray. I think that's the best place we can spend time, individually, not just as a church, individually, in prayer, for our nation, for our families, for our church, for our community. You may say, well, that's not my church. (laughs) Come and pray together. 6.30, Wednesday night. Well, my favorite show is on. Okay. 6.30, Wednesday night. Come and pray. I'd love to have to turn people away because there's no room. That, that we would be a praying people that, that want to be together to, to seek out God's face. 6.30, Wednesday night. I invite you to join me. As we gather at the altar. That we might be changed. You see, it's as though Abram became able to see himself as he truly were. Not merely as he wanted to be, not as he hoped to be, but as he truly was in relationship to God. He saw himself as God held him. And in that moment, he found strength to let go of the things that held him back from glorifying God. This This is a great moment for Abram. He chose instead to hold tightly to the things that were most important and to loosen his grip on the things that weren't as important as God's purpose. The first one of those things is people. People. People are important. But not more than God's promise. Abram had come to value his relationship with Lot. This was his nephew whose whose dad had died, right? He was responsible for this kid. Man now. Now their people were fighting over space. Abram had to do something. But he couldn't let go until he spent time at that altar when he surrendered his plans to God, his thinking to God's way. He became willing to be second or third. And this made all the difference in the world to him. You see, when God's precedent... God's promise takes precedence, is in primary place in our lives. When we have the singular focus that we talked about last week, the singular focus of glorifying God in our lives, we become willing to allow people to come and go from our lives. 
As a pastor, I'll freely admit it, that when people leave the church, it, it tears me up. But if I'll be honest, mostly it tears me up because I feel like it's about me. Because I was getting, I was getting validation by people being there, thinking it was about me when it's about God. But one day, I'm getting better at this. Now, leave, leave. God's calling you somewhere else. God bless you. I'm going to be okay in my skin. I'm going to be okay with what he's called me to. I'm I'm not there 100%. I'm I'm a lot better than I used to be. I've told people oftentimes that if if a pastor has an issue with with being a people pleaser, which I was, this is not the vocation for him. Unless you're willing to fight through that. Because I, I was raised by a fantastic people pleaser. My father, he was great at it. Avoid conflict, do anything to help people, do anything to make people happy. Keep everybody okay. But then one day I realized that God's plan and how I was convinced, I was convinced that he wanted me to live into it. I became more okay with if people don't line up with that. I'm okay with that. But I trust it. If God's at work in my life, He's at work in theirs too. And He's calling them somewhere else. And I'm okay with that. I may not like it, but I'll choose to be okay with it. Let me give you a real world example where it meets you, where you're at. In 1972, the United Methodist Church it slipped, uh, not slipped, like it was a, you know, a bit controversial thing, but they, they included in our book of discipline, which is our constitution, basically, a phrase that, that makes a lot of sense. It says, the United Methodist Church acknowledges that all people are of sacred worth. Nobody disagreed with that. Nobody disagreed with that. For years, nobody really disagreed with it. goes on to say, no matter the race, color, origin, status, economic condition, all people can attend Participate, receive communion, be baptized, and take membership vows. No problem, right? It wasn't. It wasn't back then. Until sometime later, some in the church began to teach that homosexuality was normative. Was nor- in other words, it was, it was normal. Uh, it was normative. It was okay. Today we talk about um, LGBTQ issues, right? As though this has been a, a, a we think of it as this has been going on forever, but it hasn't, right? This argument, this debate has only been happening in the church for the last 20 years, 30 years. Really, that's it. Hadn't been long. But there remains a conflict of understanding in the church. Some see homosexuality as a, person, as a part of a person's identity. As God created them to be accepted by the church, as they seek to honor God with their lives. So this makes the says this point of view says the church should be open to them in terms of membership, marriage, and ordination. The other side, the what we call the traditional view, right, hold that the understanding that, that homosexuality is actually contrary to the teachings of Scripture, and and in terms of homosexual practice, in, including marriage. That it is a sin and should not be endorsed by the church. So we have these two groups of people, 
right? Who, who honestly, and, and I'll, I'll say both of them faithfully believe that their way is right. In the church right now today, probably in this room. I'm not asking you to raise hands and show. But our, our doctrines say one side is correct, while the leadership in our church says that it should be reconsidered. So that we're set up for conflict, right? It's not because we argued about it. It's because people outside of us are arguing about it and they pull us into it, right? And that's exactly what we've seen in place for the last 40 years in our church. Not our local church, but denominationally. Year in and year out, people gather together to stand up and try to convince them, convince everybody that their side is right and everybody, and everybody should agree with them. And it just goes back and forth and back and forth. And you know how many people have changed their mind because of all those arguments? I'd be willing to bet not a single one. Not a single I'd be willing to bet not a single Very few. Last year, that all changed. Something changed last year. So it was put forward in an agreement that the United Methodist Church, as a denomination, would basically agree to disagree. They would basically agree to disagree. And this agreement, this, this decision, has, has found a broad-based agreement that denominationally we're going to agree to disagree. It'll be hard for us to work it out, though. It'll be hard for us in this room to work out those differences. But at least there's like the lot in Abraham. We're going to agree to disagree. We're going to stop trying to convince each other that we're right and they're wrong. And we're going to say, okay, we're not going to hold, up. We're not going to hold this as a, the main thing anymore. We're going to both seek Jesus and allow it to work itself out. So for the first time, a wide majority of Methodists agree that winning is no longer the point. That being right is, is no longer the point. Actually being faithful to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor is yourself, that that will be the point. It's as though someone for the first time spent some time at Abram's altar and said, okay, so we don't have to fight about this anymore. We can just, we can just, go, we can just go our way. You go your way. And we'll be at peace. And we'll pursue God's mission as people who see this, as who see their the call of God differently. You go your way, I'll go the other. Each side saying that, that I'm not going to allow relationships with people, I'm not going to allow relationships with people or denominations determined, determine the direction of my ministry. You hear that? I'm no longer going to allow my relationship with people or denominations to determine my ministry. People have said, God's call, God's promise is more important than the logo, than the, the place, than the name, than even the people I do it with. Because God is more important. Pleasing God is more important than everything else. It's hard. It will be very hard to live out. But we're going to do it together. And it's going to, you're going to, we're going to talk more about this in the coming year, I promise. Um, 
Abram had to decide to let go. Remember back in chapter 12 when Abram called God? What did he say? He said, leave your father and all your stuff and go to the land I'm sending you. Right? That's what God told him back in chapter 12. What did Abram do? He gathered up all his stuff and took his father's family with him. He went, but he, he went in a way that God didn't tell him to go. He had a lot with him. And now he's gotten to the place where he was finally able to let him go. To let Lot go. Because God didn't call him to travel with Lot. He wanted to because he loved him so much. And now he's able to let him go. There are some relationships, are there some relationships in your life that you need to let go of so that you can live out what God is calling you to? It ain't easy. Following Jesus was never meant to be easy. Are you holding on to relationships that are actually preventing you from moving towards God's promise? I'm not saying just throw people aside. Just disregard people. What I'm saying is that what would it take for you to open your grip on them and see what God might do with those relationships? That you would stop hanging on to them so hard and you would entrust them to God and you'd follow Him. And if He blows them away, like chaff from your hand, then you'd be okay with it. In the next verse, we see that Lot was simply on a different page than Abram. In fact, Lot acted as we're apt to do a lot of times, and as Abram would have acted before. In Genesis 13, 10-12, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before Lot had destroyed, God had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities in the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Lot made his choice practically. You, know, you get the picture now. They're standing on the top of this mountain, and they're looking off to the, to the left, to the west, and they see just rocks and mountains, and, and wow, that's a hard living. Looks over to the right, and they see a plain, the valley, this green and lush. Lot says, well, if you're letting me pick, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to let me pick, I guess this is God just blessing me again, right? That's the way Abram would have thought. I mean, Lot had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of animals to care for. You give you a choice, you're going to do the most practical thing. Isn't that what we would do? Obviously, God is... Showing me what to do. Abraham's probably shaking his head. You know, wouldn't long ago I would have done the same thing, Lot. He's probably thinking that to himself. I would have, I would have done it the same way, Lot. I can't believe it. But now you see, Abram's faith is growing. He's learning that God is to be trusted. God is to be trusted. And trusting God is always the better choice. Always the better choice. Brendan Manning, who uh, a writer who's, who passed away several years ago now, but has written some very good books, Christian books. and um, In the book Ruthless Trust, he, he tells a story about uh, Mother Teresa, who was visited, and you may have heard the story, was visited by a, a famous ethicist back some years ago, John Cavanaugh. He went to work, Cavanaugh went to work with Mother Teresa for, for months and at her house of the dying in Calcutta. And he was, uh, he was seeking a clear answer as to how to, 
how to best spend the rest of his life, where to invest himself. On the first morning there, he met Mother Teresa, and she asked, well, well, what can I do for you? Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him, which is probably what we would do too. Mother Teresa says, what can I do for you? Well, you can start by praying, right? And she asked, well, how do you want me to pray for you? And he said, he shared how he, he traveled for thousands of miles in order to ask her to pray for clarity. He, wanted, he came to Calcutta to ask her to pray for his clarity. <laughs> and her response is amazing. She says, I won't do that. <laughs> like that. Travel thousands of miles to ask somebody to do one thing, and they say, nope, sorry. <laughs> it's like, okay then. But no. She said, she said, clarity is the last thing you're to cling to and must let go of. He commented that, that she's always seemed to, to have clarity that he wanted. Like she was clear on what her calling was, what she was on earth to do. And he wanted that. And her response to him was, I've never had clarity. What I always have had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. That's a good word, ain't it? That's a good word. Like you don't need clarity. What you need to do is trust God. Amen, that's for me too. You don't need clarity. You just need to step out in faith. Abram had had learned that instead, immediately doing what seemed like a sign from God, what he needed was to trust. What he needed was to trust. I ask you, is there something that you're waiting for God to show you? When it seems like God is just waiting... For you to trust Him. Trusting God to provide. Trusting God to deliver. Trusting God to to lead you. That was the best place for Abram. And I believe that's the best place for us. Even if it meant going out into a land full of rocks. You see, there were bigger problems than just rocks. There were bigger problems than rocks. And that's where Lot was about to find himself. Oh, there's the quote. I've never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. So I'll pray that you trust God. Good word. See what Lot got himself into. In chapter 13, starting in verse 13 through the end. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. But the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had departed from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring would be counted. Go, walk the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Again, standing up on this high mountain, Abram Abram wasn't interested in doing what seemed right, going to the place where obviously this is the place where it's green and lush. No. Abram's desire was to live with God. To actually to live into holiness. Not into the ways of the world. Worldliness. Scripture teaches that there's a way that seems right to a man. 
and it leads to death. That was the choice that Lot made. The way that seemed right to a man. Even read in the text that Lot lifted his eyes and actually he dropped his eyes down to the valley. Right? Didn't lift them to God. He, he looked to see what would benefit him the most. It seemed right, but in the end was a land filled with sin and pain, and as we'll see very soon, death. For Abram, it was simple. Seeking to honor God. That was his choice. To pursue God's way instead of the way that he'd been going. Holiness instead of worldliness. But the choice of holiness isn't always that clear cut. It's not always that simple. Often we can't tell what the consequences of our choices are. We don't, it looks like the right thing to do, but, but the reality is that no matter what we choose, sometimes, no matter what we choose, we can get down the road a little ways and it lead to sin. Or it can lead to faithfulness. It's a series of choices that we make along the way. Sometimes it doesn't matter which way we go. Both alternatives. Both alternatives could be places for God to work. In fact, they are. So when in doubt, make the obvious choice of holiness. Choose to walk with God, whichever direction you go. That's the choice to make. Walk with God. The fact is that we need to get better at playing the long game. Right? Golfers in here, you know what I'm talking about. Like To play the long game, to play, to play for the, the whole course, not just this shot. Adam was promised that his offspring would number the dust of the earth. Now, that may not mean much to you because we're in this clean, 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 clean room with no dust in it. But think about standing in the desert. Dust is literally covering everything. And God says, I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the dust of the earth. Wow. He doesn't have any kids. (laughs) He has zero kids. Matter of fact, the one that he would have called his son just left. He's got nothing. Think he was willing to play the long game? That wasn't going to be an overnight success. God is saying, but eventually, eventually, your offspring will outnumber the sands, the dust of the earth. A plan that required faithfulness. In the next moment, and tomorrow. I'm sure he was excited to take this first step. I mean, think about it. If you were in your shoes, he says, you're gonna, all spring is going to be as numerous as the dust of the earth. You're like, oh, I can't wait. I wanna, let's go start. I mean, but while we'd be excited, we'd also be overwhelmed. We'd also be overwhelmed. With how? <laughs> like, what do I do? Not if we were perfect, but since I'm not perfect, how? Brennan Manning, who, again, wrote a lot of things and, and kind of had me on a kick of some of his writing. And I went to Rag- the Ragamuffin Gospel that he wrote, a very popular book. And he wrote in there, when I get honest, I admit that I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm trusting and suspicious. I'm honest and I still play games. 
Aristotle said, I'm a rational animal. I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. And in recognizing our need for God, we discover who we are and what grace is. Hear that again. Recognize, when, we, when we come to know ourselves, we recognize our need for God and we discover who we are and what grace is. As the church father, Thomas Merton said, a saint is not someone who is good, but someone who experiences the goodness of God. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Before we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, for good works that He had planned for us long ago. So what did Abram do? He went back to the place where all this started. Back to the place where he called on God and God responded. Back to the place where he left Lot. Where Lot went off to build his fortune, Abram went off to build an altar. Where do you need an altar? Where do you need an altar in your life? I want you to know today that living God's promise is actually possible. It's not a fairy tale. Many of us think, that, oh, that's never, that's never going to happen. No, it is possible. It's a promise. Life doesn't have to be a struggle. It can, it can be a labor of love. Conflict doesn't have to be the norm. For those who understand that they're blessed beyond anything they could ever win in an argument, frustration doesn't need to be our default. Jesus said, come to me, and I'll give you rest. Joy is available to us. Hope is a gift that's given to us. Love is the way of life. But in order to experience this life, we have to do it through Jesus, who said that He was the way, the truth, and the life, right? As he said to the woman at the well in John 4, 13, Everyone who drinks of this water, he was talking about a well, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. The water I give will spring up in them to eternal life. So let me ask you, what is it in your life that God is calling you to take the long view, to accept as a part of your journey with him? That you aren't going to see overnight change. But just as the dust of the wind, so He will be faithful to you and to the promise that He has on your life. I ask you today that we'd spend a few moments at the altar today. You may say, well, we don't really have one. True. But make your chair an altar. And we're going to sing one song here real quick, and then we're going to share in Holy Communion. Those who are going to distribute the elements as we sing, uh, can y'all do that for us while we're singing this song, if y'all can distribute these? Um, I just ask you to hang on to them as we'll go through the liturgy together.